When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to Garibaldi Red, a Nottingham Forest podcast brought to you by Nottinghamshire Live. Hello and welcome to Garibaldi Red, the Nottingham Forest podcast from Nottinghamshire Live. My name is Matt Davis, hosting as usual, and I'm joined today by former Red striker Nathan Tyson returning to the podcast. Nathan, hello, how are you? Yeah, I'm good, thank you. How are you all doing? Yes, good, thanks, good. And our second guest, also returning to the podcast after a very long uh, absence, is BBC Radio Nottingham's Forest commentator, Colin Frey. Colin, hello, how are you? Yeah, good, thank you. Hi, Matt. Hi, Nathan. Thanks for having me. Hi, Nathan. Very good to have you both. Thanks for joining me. Um, We're going to talk about the latest... Not, I didn't say chapter of misery. It's not that bad, but it's not been great for Forrest this season. We're, we're almost over the line, the penultimate game, a nil-nil draw at Sheffield Wednesday. Um, Nathan, you've seen extended highlights and Colin, you've seen it in full as have I. So Colin, why don't you kick us off and just give us your, your thoughts on the penultimate chapter of the season? Well, very similar to the season, really. I thought on, uh, on Saturday, I thought, I mean, I, I, the first thing I'd say is I thought Forrest pretty much put their lot in. Um, uh, there was no question of end of season syndrome. I didn't think from Forrest. I thought you know Chris Hutton had, had picked his his full strength side. Um, so there's no question of of making things any easier for Sheffield Wednesday to put more pressure on Derby or anything like that. Uh, but I thought it just it it was very similar to so many other games in the space of this season that, that we've seen. You know, Forest have uh, a decent spell. I thought was it you know it was tight. It wasn't great quality in the early stages. Then Forest had a decent ten minutes before half time. Uh, got their opportunity from the penalty spot. Couldn't take it. Good save. I thought um, from uh, from the goalkeeper from Kieran Westwood. Um, and then they pay for not being able to score when they're on top in the game. And uh, on this occasion, uh, their defence, again, has stood firm. They've kept themselves another clean sheet and it's got themselves uh, a point away from home. But in so many ways, it sums up the season. Fail to score when they're having a good spell um, and therefore fail to win the game. I think if they score at that point, if, if the penalty goes in or they score at any point when they're on top in, in that spell just before half time, uh, then uh, then it's a different game. But you can say that about so many of Forest games this season. And once again, they don't get the three points because they're unable to, to find a finish. Yeah, I'll ask you about the penalty in a minute, Nathan, from a striker's point of view. But does that ring true with what you saw of the highlights, what Colin's saying there? Yeah, certainly is. It, it just seemed uh, to me. Uh, I mean, I was, I was even a bit disappointed with Sheffield Wednesday. To be honest, uh, I thought they would have had a even more go at it. Um, you know, considering uh, fighting for their lives, but it just seemed to. It just seems like Forest are kind of waiting for something to happen. Um, when I was watching the highlights as well, a lot of possession in the middle of the park, and not enough penetration through them. Not enough crosses. Um, not enough forward runs for my liking. Um, but Having said that, you know, I don't want to be too negative or anything because they've got a manager now and they've got a, a, a squad that is capable to finish higher, uh, especially, well, obviously next season. Um, but, yeah, it would have been nice for, you know, for Forrest to, to get the win on Saturday and get as many points as he can 
Um, but it's like like Colin said, it's just I've watched a few of their games this season, and it, it, he's he's hit the nail on the head. It has been it's been a problem this year, especially with the goals, uh, lack of them. Um, but that's going to turn. I, I, you know, I believe I believe with the manager that you have now, uh, I think next season is going to be very interesting. Yeah, I suppose what concerned me was that, like Colin said, Forrest put their lot in and still couldn't beat a Sheffield Wednesday team that were. Really, I thought they were really dire, actually. They looked like a team that's going down, and I thought they were very um, tentative from the start, which was disappointing from a Forest point of view, but they never looked like losing, certainly. Um, before we talk about Nathan's penal- uh, Graben's penalty, it's Nathan's birthday, <laughs> so we should say happy birthday, Nathan Tyson. Oh, happy birthday, Nathan. Who's joining, yeah, joining us on <laughs> his birthday, which is very kind yeah. of him, so we're grateful to Nathan <laughs> and his wife. That's how bad things are. I've got to, <laughs> I can't even enjoy a birthday. <laughs> <laughs> No, no, we're pleased no, you're here. We're pleased you're here. No, Thank no, you, Mrs. No, it's Tyson. It's great to be here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, right, Graben's anyway. <laughs> penalty then. I mean, I didn't, I, I've seen Graben take bad penalties. I didn't think it was that bad. From a, from a striker's point of view, what did you make of it, Nathan? First thing for me, um, I, the run-up for me, it, it, is it, I just think it's too short. Um, so you can't generate enough power for it. I think if he hits that, Further in the corner, with more power, that goes in. Even if the keeper does make a fingertips to it, um, I just think it was too. The um, Westwood could really read it too easily. Um, I think if you're having a short run up, it's usually whip it to the other side. Um, but you know, I don't want to be too harsh on on Danny yet, uh, because I thought he, you know, he's been he's a fantastic player. I like him. I think he uh, what he's got and what he's brought to to Forrest uh, is exactly what they need so I don't want to be too critical on him but I just think maybe players are different I take a really long run up and charge at the ball because uh, that's because I want a lot of pace on the ball uh, if you don't get the accuracy you've got the pace at least will beat the keeper So, but it's a good save from the keeper let's not take it away there but I just think it was too uh, it was too easy to read for my liking did you think he was going to score, Colin? I mean, we've grabbed it. I don't know what his percentage ratio. I should have looked this up. It was probably about seventy percent, sixty percent, isn't it? Were you confident he was going to put it away? Uh, I thought he would. I thought he would in this in this instance. Um, but you know, we, you're right. I mean, we've seen him hit some some penalties that have been pretty mediocre. Um, but I thought this one was a good one. I, I've got to say, having seen it again, it's not quite as right in the corner as I thought it was at yeah, the time yeah. because he stretched so far across Westwood I, I thought at the time it's, it, it is right as close to the post as you can get it actually it's probably not not absolutely adjacent to the post which I thought it was on Saturday when I saw it in real time um, I still think it's an excellent save uh, and I think what I said on Saturday I'd probably stand by which is that some penalties are missed and some penalties are saved and this one very definitely goes down I think as, as a save and, and you could almost tell from Westwood having conceded the penalty and got his team in what would have been a you know the Meyer really you know they'd, they'd have gone down if they hadn't you know if they'd lost on Saturday so he knew he'd got his team in trouble um, albeit it was the back header that really got them in trouble but having committed the foul you could almost see he was determined he was going to keep it out so I'd still give credit to the goalkeeper I think um, and uh, but as I say you know when you get a penalty you kind of need to score don't you especially when you're having that that spell on top in a game where if you do score you probably go on and win the game. Mm-hmm. No, what's it like being in a team Nathan that's mid-table not got a lot to play for ostensibly as Forrest have did you ever find or do you find you still play that 
you know, does your motivation drop at all? Is it hard to really be as up for the game as you would have been early season or not? Uh, I guess it is really. Let's not let's not shy away from it. Um, you, your mind's already thinking about next season, um, especially if you're a player out of contracts. You're thinking, uh, and you're thinking, well, am I going to get a contract here next season? So you, you, your mindset changes. You think, yeah, I'm going to try and win myself a contract, but by that time, decisions have already been made, um, and everyone's all thinking about next year. Even the managers thinking about next year. Sometimes you see a young lad's been thrown in uh, and stuff, and that's that's fair enough. Uh, you've got nothing to play for, um, so your mindset does change. You're thinking with the world, especially with the world away. Um, sorry, the way the world is at the moment, uh, people are obviously thinking about you know the summer, summer break, um, you know, spending time with family and stuff. Um, so it does get to that point. It's a bit of a grind, and uh, I. You know, maybe you can see it in some of the Forest players, but that's up and down to everyone in the, in the country who's finished mid-table. So everyone's thinking about next year rather than thinking about what, what they can do now. It's interesting what Nathan says, isn't it, Colin, about uncertainty around quite a lot of players. They've got five on loan, Christie, Garner, Kravinovic, Knockart, etc. There's this question marks over players like Graben. Do you think that might be subconsciously filtering into this team as the season kind of meanders out then? I think it, I think even like Nathan said, it's almost just like human, isn't it? It's you know even if they're not meaning to, almost subconsciously, yeah. I, I think it would just be a human reaction to. Uh, I hate to use the phrase "switch off," uh, and you look at the way Forest are playing now; they're not really playing a great deal different to to how they have done all season. They're still, you know, I, I think as as I said earlier, I think you could compare the game at Sheffield Wednesday and, and the effort levels and the way the game went with so many games that Forrest have played over the course of the season. So I don't think there's a noticeable um, switch off at all from Forrest, but I, you know, I, I think it, it is a human reaction um, and, uh, and, and that sort of thing can happen when you get to the end of the season, when things aren't on the line anymore. Um, and you're right, Matt, there are a lot of players who have uncertain futures really uh, with the situation at Forest, whether they be out of contract, uh, whether they are on loan and don't really know what the future might hold, whether they be in contract, but they've got their eye on going somewhere else. Or um, what, What's interesting for me is that having spoken to Chris Hewton uh, just last week, actually, and, and, and actually heard him say in press conferences over the last couple of weeks, really, that he's, he's decided he knows now. Uh, and and I suspect that the players know as well. You know, whatever you know, they're not going to be able to change his mind over the last few games about whether he's decided they're going to stay or or he wants. You know, he'd be happy for them to move on. So I think it's an it's always an interesting stage at, at, at this stage of the season. And I do think we're shaping up again. You know, you look at every summer it seems or every transfer window at Forest it, it seems that whenever they come up, we always say, "Well, there's a big summer coming up. There's a big transfer window coming up," and it. It kind of feels that way again. It, it does feel as if there, there, there may well be big changes made by Chris Hewton over the course of, of this summer. I think if he's successful in changing things over the summer, as he was in January, then I do think that, that Forrest have got a, a decent season ahead of them next next season. Because I think the, the changes made by Chris Hewton in January certainly uh, have have improved Forest over the uh, over the second half of the season and and ultimately got them safe with a couple of games to spare. 
Do you think there are 100% attacking changes, Colin? I mean, Chris, the right-back situation needs to be resolved, whether it's Christie or someone else, but would you think all the signings are going to be in the, the top third of the pitch, probably? I would imagine that that's where his priority will be, yeah, for obvious reasons. You know, the reasons we've talked about before, that, that goals have been the thing that's been hard to come by. Um, and that's not just down to goal scorers, that's down to goal creativity as well. It's down to, you know, the, the chances being created. Um and I, I think he'll look for more creativity. I think he'd probably look for a bit more pace and he'll certainly look for more goals. And that was the situation that he had in January. And I think he did, uh, you know, he, he, he did look for some creativity. He got it in Kravinovic and, and OK, he may not have had the best of, uh, you know, goals or assists returned. But I think he's made, he and Garner have made Forrest more creative. He, you know, they make things happen on the pitch more than was happening before, uh, before they came in. Um, but I think, you know, yes, I do think it will be the same sort of thing. There's obviously a huge question mark, as there is, I think, when we go into any transfer window over whether or not Forrest are going to be able to keep hold of their prized assets. And, of course, the most prized asset at the moment is Joe Worrell. Loads of talk about him, as there always is whenever we go into any transfer window. Um, I think as long as they can keep him, then largely defensively, he'll be quite happy, I think, with, with the situation that he's got. Yes, there are issues uh, you know, does he go in for Cyrus Christie on a full-time basis, on a permanent basis? Does he? What happens with Yuri Ribeiro, who is out of contract? Um, so there, there are one or two issues to sort. But I think, by and large, he'll be happy defensively if he can keep Joe Worrell, and therefore his priority will, yes, be on the other end of the pitch. I'm not blowing smoke up your backside here, Nathan, because you're here, but they do look like a team that misses a Nathan Tyson-type energetic, pacey player to me. <laughs> There's a comment here from um, Richard Ottaway about the off-the-ball work that yourself and Grant Holded, and, and he talks about yeah. pace and dynamism. Uh, dynamism probably being the key word as well there. Is that something that struck you and the, the occasions you've watched Forest this season? They're a bit static, maybe, uh, I suppose. Yeah, just sometimes you just need that player... Um, you know, I'm still still trying to do it now at the moment, just try and stretch the defence as much as I possibly can because football's changed a lot over the years and more technical play, uh, teams want to play in between the lines and stuff. So for me, it's always been you need someone there to stretch them and, uh, and then gain possession up there, hold it up. Um, just, you know, the kind of the ugly side of the game. You need someone to do that, and I, 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 it's not just Forest. It's it's up and down in the Championship and filtering into League One and League Two. Um, it's getting a bit too pretty, pretty. Whereas times where you do have to roll your sleeves up and get down and dirty and get get aggressive, run hard, uh, and you know sometimes fans don't like it, but sometimes you just need to have that one player that can actually do that, especially up top, uh, who can run in behind, stretch the defence because defenders don't want to run back towards their own goal they like everything called in front of them um, if you've got someone constantly running in behind it's a problem um, so you know you see I mean Lyle uh, Lyle Taylor he, he, he can do that um, he's a proven goal scorer in obviously in League 1 and League 2 um, uh, but obviously I believe there's still a lot more to come from him but I think Forrest just obviously needs maybe one or two extra additions to up top especially to help, uh, help with a goal, especially if someone who's proven to be a 20-plus goal scorer. Uh, at Dan, you know, Danny's got that in the, in the locker as well. So it's not all doom and gloom, though, at Forest. Uh, like I said before, the squad 
the squad looks very, very good. Um, but like Colin said, <laughs> he knows the players that he needs to keep. And, uh, you know, having someone up top that can do the nasty side of things and have everyone working off them, that, that, that'll be a massive bonus for him. So which players are here next season, Colin? I mean, uh, Nathan mentions Taylor, who's not really worked out as we hoped. Graben yeah. is 33 and got a year left. And Murray, was, I suppose Murray's probably going to go. And then you've got Knockart behind him, Carvalho uncertainty, Amiobi's out of contract. Uh, do you see a vastly different front four or front five players next season? I think it's, I think that's going to be the interesting question. I, I mean, I, I, Sammy Amiobi obviously hasn't featured over the last few weeks due to injury. Um, and, and as you say, he's he's one of the, the players that's out of contract. There aren't actually too many who play regularly who are out of contract. Um, Yuri Ribeiro, of course, just come back into the side uh, as, as as he ends. But but yes, in terms of those attacking positions, um, clearly they've still got the, the contracted players in in Lyle Taylor and, and Lewis Graben. And as you say, Glenn Murray, I'm not sure whether or not he'd stay. Um, for for another season, he was only signed on a on a short term basis until the end of the season. Um, Carvalho is an interesting one. I don't think he's been getting rave reviews at all in in Spain, and obviously he wasn't getting rave reviews in the UK either before Forrest allowed him to go out on loan. Uh, but then again, Chris Hutton's not seen him, and and we talk about the creativity in that number ten role. Maybe Chris Hutton will have a look at him in in pre season. Um, Unless Chris has got his own ideas about, you know, a player that he is definitely sure about that he wants to bring in, but but I think you know you, you look at some of those teams who are on in, in the top six, and you look at uh, the pace and the, the, the both pace and creativity. I mean, Emmy Buendia, you know, is not a player that that most teams are going to have in their side. I know that, but you look at him winning uh, Championship Player of the Year, and uh, and and he's just one that Norwich have got. But you know, you add. A Dowell in there, you had a Campwell in there as well for Norwich, and they've got that creativity. You look at the the front three for Watford, for instance, and you see the pace and power that that they've got. Um, and you can kind of see how far off that Forest are, albeit that they've got some players that on their day you think can really shine. Um, I, I just think on a consistent basis, you look at those those teams in the top six and you see their attacking threat and you think that, you know, that's where Chris Hutton wants to be. That's where he needs to be. And I think probably it'll be, it will probably be new faces that he's looking at to try and give them that on a more consistent basis. If you think back through what's now quite a lengthy career, Nathan, what's the best attacking lineup that you've played in and what do you think was the kind of key to that success? It's, it's a tough one because um, obviously getting promoted before I was, I was I was up top on my own and then it, you had the likes of Chris Cohen just having that number 10 role um, but oh, it's, it's a tough one it's obviously being part of like obviously with Ernie and Dexter up top and I had to shift out to, to playing on the left that was a joy to playing because you knew you knew if you got the ball anywhere to Ernie in, in the box around his feet, he, he, you know he's going to score. Uh, Dexter, Dexter for me was uh, one of those players that he really good in the air, um, and he could finish as well. So you know they they were up there. Another another lineup actually 
kind of quite comical really we had myself uh, Bayo Akinfenwar and uh, Craig McHale-Smith I think we were the oldest front line in, in the whole of football <laughs> league <laughs> combined age of like 107 so um, yeah that was it was quite enjoyable and uh, you know I, I remember seeing a couple of old teammates who were saying oh is this the is this the retirement home here and that stuff so it was enjoyable but we we were me and me and Mikel Smith were just runners and we just worked well off off Bayer and we got promoted that season as well. So yeah, it's it's just a it's a bit of a mix up really. I can't really pick out ones, but um, yeah, for me it was just it was out of them two really two teams that are most successful. What, what do you need then? Is it a bit of everything to actually hurt teams? You can't be too one dimensional then. No, like you said, like Connor says, creativity is a, it's a massive factor. But you need you need the runners to help the creative players find the space. There's no point everything being played in front of you because you're not going to go anywhere. You're just going to keep going side to side, and before you know it, you lose the ball, you get broken down, and get counted on. Uh, and the teams that are successful in this league, they know how to counter quick, and they know how to punish teams for mistakes. Um, for me, it's all about pace and power. Um, if you've got the pace up there, up top, it's going to, always going to cause defenders problems. And then you've got the creative players that are feeding that and giving it to what I call the match winners, the money men at the top. So it's you've got to have a mixture. Um, you can't have all, all pace and power because you, then you miss out on the creativity. You've got to have a mixture between the two. Like Colin said, the, create, the creative players that you have before us are very, very good, but they just need that extra someone running behind, someone doing the hard work, uh, someone you know busting the gut to create space for not for someone else. Uh, it's not necessarily making a run in the in the channel or making a run behind for yourself. You're doing it for the better of the team. You're creating space for someone else. And as soon as you do that, um, things things click together as a team and you know you get the best out of each other from there so it's not I mean it's easier to talk about here and it's easier said than done but you know you get the gist of it you know football doesn't have to be complicated um, and there's a, too many managers and coaches out there that complicate the game so what's Akin Fenwell like to play with as a character great, as a character a and, great and guy do you know do you know what he's um Great guy, really great guy. I can't say, say anything more but positive things about him because he keeps the change room together. Um, if you have an issue on the pitch, off the pitch, he's there. Um, he's great around the lads, great to have around. And that's why, I mean, to be fair, that's mainly down to, to Gareth down at, down at Wickham. Uh, he's really, that change room, is it's, it's the best change room that I've ever been in great bunch of lads like-minded lads everyone wants to succeed they're always the underdogs and hence why they're still trying to fight now and I, let's be honest the goal difference has killed them but um, you know I'm proud of them uh, because that's the fight that you have like if Forrest were playing Wickham on Saturday I think Wickham beat Forrest to be honest mm. and I, that's because Wickham they, they don't know when they're down uh, Sheffield Wednesday just looked like Colin said they look a team that looked like they were already down anyway um, but look, it, you know Bale's a fantastic guy I really enjoyed him so <laughs> like I'm giving you, a shout out 
<laughs> How do you get that resolve into Forest squad then, Nathan? When you keep signing ten players a season, I mean, no, you... yeah. So the, the problem is you keep chopping and changing managers. It's been a problem. When was the last time Forest were in the playoffs or anywhere near the playoffs? Um, you know, you've got to look back quite a while now, and it's it's not. It's just because there's been chops and changes to managers, and it's not just Forest. It's every team. These owners come in and. What I don't get is that they're businessmen. They've started up from nothing and taken their time to earn their hundreds of thousands, millions, whatever it is. And that takes time. Football's no different. Being a football manager is no different. You need time. As soon as you come in, you need to get rid of the players that you don't want, for one, which means the club's got to pay them up or ship them on or whatever. Um, And then the manager needs to bring the players in and then he needs to gel them all together that doesn't just happen in a week. Sometimes you might see a couple of weeks reaction where you go and beat them for like, you know, three, four, five games and then suddenly it pitters away and then people will start asking questions. It's like, well, no, you've had the initial like spark, but after that, it's now long-term, long-term thinking of gelling the squad together. Uh, it takes time. It's not, it's not an overnight fix and, that's the problem. Owners just want success straight away. They want success. Like if you sign a manager in, say in the summer, they want to be promoted by Christmas. That doesn't make sense. You still got the other half of the season to go. But owners see that. That's all they see. And then they listen to the fans. The fans are not happy or disgruntled or whatever. That plays effects in their decision making as well. You'd be surprised. So with Forest, it's always been the same problem. Too many managers, too many players. Uh, if you have a business and you've got too many uh, like employees coming in and out, then it's not going to succeed. It's just going to fall flat and you're not going to go anywhere. So that's the problem I see with Forest. It's not necessarily being the managers. Well, maybe sometimes, but not necessarily. And I just think Chris needs, now, he needs time. Uh, he needs time to build that team and then judge him, judge him by the end of next season. Um, you know, Forest at the moment, could you say that they've had a good season this year? No, it's just been the same as the last couple of years, maybe. There's there's not really been anything about it. Um, they're not really going anywhere. And um, you don't want to get stuck in that, that rut where you're just constantly wasting money on new managers, new players, the turnover. It's... It's, uh, it's diabolical at times and it's frustrating as a former player who, you know, who admires the football club. Um, but it's just, it's hard work to watch sometimes. And uh, I just hope they've got, they've got the manager now, in my eyes, that can really push the club forward to where it needs to be. If you want to get to the top, then you've got to start back in and you've got to, as an owner, if I was an owner, I'd be like, look, you've got the whole season, then we'll review it. Like, just don't finish in the bottom half of the table or when I sat near there at the top like even then if you're finishing mid-table we're still better than what you're doing now so it's you can't go wrong yeah that's all very sensible and reasonable but that doesn't happen at Forest does it Colin? <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't agree more I could not agree more with what Nathan's just said there was a I, I mean forgive me I'm not going to be able to remember exactly which manager it was because there have been so many over the last few years but there was a manager and I remember looking at the squad and working out which manager had signed each player in the squad and 
the, whoever the manager was at the time was was stood in front of a dressing room made up of of players who had been signed by eight different managers. So that's eight different philosophies, uh, mm. uh, you know, and eight different strategies, outlooks on the game from eight different managers, eight different types of player who've been bought in. And then you, your manager number nine, in however many years it was, comes in and is looking around and has got, well, that player who was brought in by so-and-so in, under that style, then those players over there were brought in to play under that style. That's impossible to gel for anybody. Mm. And, it, and it's no wonder that there hasn't been the success on the pitch when you when you throw that into into the mix um and you know it's it, it's a series of circumstances and it has been over the course of the years and there are different reasons why managerial changes are made and some of them feel a, a bit too hasty and some of them feel as if they are made at about the right sort of time but um it, it's impossible for any manager to try and gel a squad that has been made by by a load of different managers. And that happens when you change every year or two or three times a year, as has been the case uh, with Forrest. Uh, and so, and, and I think when you look at, again, at what Chris Hewton did in his only transfer window to date, which was the January one, he promised when he went in that he wasn't going to make wholesale changes. He was just going to, you know, tinker with it a bit, make two or three changes. And I think you look at the players he brought in, uh, Glenn Murray, of course, has, has not made such an impact recently, but he made an immediate impact when he did come in. You look at James Garner, you look at Kravinovich, uh, you know, they, they have made a decent difference to Forrest over the second half of the season. And I think when that's your evidence that, that this is what Chris Hewton can do in, in one transfer window, which is just a, a open for a month, then let's see what he can do and what he can build over the course of the summer. But, but again, you know, if it, as Nathan's just said, if, if things aren't going well after the first half a dozen games next season, why would you at that point throw it all out again and get a new manager in who, doesn't know these players and hasn't brought these players in to work to a, a, a specific um, uh, you know, way of playing. So it, it, it's about patience. Uh, I, and, and Chris Hewton has got the history. He's got the pedigree behind him. He's been there. He's done it. He's, he's shown us the evidence over his first transfer window that he can uh, bring in players to improve what was a struggling side. Um, and, uh, and, and I think you know, it's going to, as, as we said earlier, it's going to be a very interesting summer. But absolutely, what Nathan's just said, Forrest need to stick with a manager at some point and give him an opportunity to build something because it doesn't happen straight away and it won't happen straight away for any manager. So, as kind of two part follow up to that, Colin, do you think this has been, I mean, you've covered Forrest for 25 seasons now, maybe? Uh, has this been more than that? <laughs> uh, well, just uh, the, uh, early April was the thirtieth anniversary of my first game. Uh, okay, so you've seen a lot of Forest. <laughs> so, has this been the most um, kind of mundane season that you covered? I can't. Aside from that, if you, if you took the pandemic out of it, I don't think many fans would remember this season. And then the second part to that would be: Is Hughton laying the foundation in kind of the the slightly dull way that he has to do to actually kick on next season, if given the opportunity that we just talked about. 
Uh, first of all, yes, it's been the most boring season. Let's be honest, it's been boring this season. And I say that in the, in the, in the total knowledge and complete acceptance that I've been very lucky this season. I've been able to actually get into grounds. Um, and, you know, there'll be a lot of fans who are watching this and say, well, how can you moan about it being boring when you're actually seeing football? So I take that on board. But you look at the number of goals, not only that Forrest have scored, but look at the number of goals they've conceded as well. I think, I think, that aggregate is about certainly the, the lowest in the championship um, and is probably one of the lowest in the country as well. So in terms of um, in terms of excitement, there hasn't been anything there. And take away fans from it as well um, and, and the fact that it's empty grounds and sterile environments and, you know, no atmosphere. Uh, throw in the fact that for three months or so I was not at the grounds and trying to commentate off uh, off TV screens with no atmos from the ground at all. Uh, and that isn't any fun, believe me. Um, I think when you, when, you, when you chuck all of this together, then, yes, it has to be the most... Um, miserable season I think it's fair to say and the only saving grace really is that they did get safe and they're not um, even worse in the mire like a certain team up the A52 still are going into the last day of the season so that really is the only saving grace uh, for this season now in terms of uh, the second half of that question Matt in terms of um, you know Chris Hewton building I think Chris Hewton has done this season what he needed to do um, and he came in and he had a look and he saw Forrest making some horrible errors defensively, um, many of them individual errors in the first part of the season, um, but some of them to do with shape and organisation and all that sort of thing. And Chris Hewton did straight away, well, not, not, not straight away, it took him a little while, but he knew straight away what he needed to do. And that was make them difficult to beat because he, he's, he can see a team that isn't going to score a load of goals, that will have to win matches with only scoring one or two. And that means you've got to be absolutely tight at the other end. Um, and, uh, and I think by and large, they have been, you know, you go back to that aggregate where Forest don't score many, but they don't concede many either. Um, and so the, I think he looked at it and he thought, right, I need to make sure that we don't keep conceding two and three goals a game, because if we do, then we're not going to score enough to win those games. Um, and, uh, and that's what he did. So he concentrated on shoring things up at one end first and reducing things to a clean sheet or only conceding one goal, which gives them a chance of winning more games and they've won probably as many as they've lost. I haven't got the stats in front of me, but I, I think it's probably about even in terms of since he came in wins and losses with plenty of draws in there as well, again, because of those problems at the other end of the pitch. But I think that's what he will then sort out next. As we said, he's, he's sorted out them defensively with what he'd already got. He tinkered with it in an, in a, an offensive situation during January and they improved during the second half of the season creatively. And the next step is to make them far more of a threat going forwards while still maintaining that base that he has already built on uh, at the back. And that, I'm sure, is what he'll be working on during the course of the summer. What's it been like playing uh, in this kind of empty crowd, pandemic ball, Nathan? And uh, You're at Chesterfield now. What's it like inside a dressing room to adapt to not having fans there? To be fair, we've got a good dressing room because we've got uh, mad Gavin Gunning who literally will dance around naked while the music's being blared out. <laughs> so that's, that's our atmosphere there. We get outside and it's quiet as anything. Now, to be, it's been, it's been tough. 
it has been tough. Um, at the start of it, you're thinking, oh, it's no different to playing an under-23s or reserve team game. No atmosphere, nothing. But when you go into the grounds, you just think, oh, God, this is... This, this, ain't, this ain't great and I can, I'm just lucky that you know being playing at this level uh, National League level that you don't get as many fans so when but I can imagine being in the championship like missing the fans I, I think you know I was going to ask you guys a question do you think if fans were allowed in do you think Forrest's performances would have stepped up even more um, because given the following that you know, Forest do have. Um, I think it may be a little bit different, especially the back end of the season. And I think that can be said for a lot of other clubs in the league. But I think Forest, the fans are just different. Different. Um, you know, you get that burst of energy. I was talking actually, I was talking about it uh, yesterday at the game. Just the difference that fans make, and especially fans at Forest, they just give you that that extra win and uh, yeah gives me goosebumps on the back just thinking about it to be <laughs> honest because it's it, you just you just don't understand until you're playing out there and you've got 30,000 fans like that roaring it's um, it's you know inspirational to be honest And but it's a shame I just feel like with that you know obviously my question goes to you guys would, do you think that would have made Forrest any better this season do you think they would have finished higher up yeah, I think they would. Um, I certainly think they wouldn't have missed out on the playoffs in the horrible way they did last year. Um, uh, you know, that, that back end of the season was dreadful and I don't think it would have happened if the city ground had, had had fans in it. Um, I know that's easy to say and I, I'm not... Uh, again, as I, as I stressed at the time, I, I wouldn't want to blame lack of fans for Forrest missing out last season. But And, and who knows what might have happened if, even if they got into the playoffs. The season might have been over anyway a week later than it actually was because they'd, they'd have lost in the two legs. But absolutely, I, I think it would have made a difference to Forrest. I think certain teams have been uh, hampered in different ways. And I think it, it depends, doesn't it, what sort of characters you've got in the dressing room. You know, the, if you've got I've said this all along, right from last June when they first got going again, that many, many footballers at your sort of level, Nathan, and, and the levels you've been playing at through your career, it strikes me as your performers. And you need that audience yeah. to perform to your best in front of them. Yes, you can perform in front of nobody, but to bring the best out of you, you need that audience. You need that, yeah. that kind of raw, that atmosphere. And I think that's, to go back to how this season has been, I think that's all played into it. I, I just think what it's meant is that some of the, the key performers, if you like, you haven't seen the best of because they need that live audience to perform in front of and it, and it, it kind of hasn't happened. I also think Nigel Clough made a very good point uh, a few weeks ago where he said he thinks the football at League Two level has been different as well because as soon as a team gets 1-0 up, if you're a home side and you get 1-0 up, yeah. you with no fans there, you've got no real need to go and press the game for a second goal or a third goal. Whereas if you've got the, the home fans there behind you, you probably wouldn't sit on a 1-0 league. But he's found, he said, that more and more teams, as soon as you get 1-0 up, they just shut the game up. They shut the game down uh, and that's it. They're quite happy with that. That's why you're seeing so many games decided by one goal across the leagues, I think, this year. So I think that plays into it as well. And I think that's led for frankly, actually, some duller games than, than you would get otherwise with fans in. So in so many ways, I, 
all of that contributes to the question that, that both Nathan has just put, whether or not Forrest would have been better. Yes, I think they would have been. Um, and what Matt asked before that about, you know, has this been the dullest season? Yes, it has, for all of those reasons, I think. Mm, yeah, yeah. I, I agree with what Colin says. I think they would have made the playoffs last season with fans. And also, yeah. I think players like you say, Cole, about Graben, Knockart, players like that, I think they thrive on... Maybe the adoration might not be the right word, but they enjoy being the showman. And lads like Yates and Worrell are going to do the same thing no matter what. If there's a brick wall, they'll run through it. If there's people watching, or if they won't, you know, head down straight forwards. So, yeah, I think that's right. Uh, what, what Cole said there, Nathan, as well, about have the games you've played in been different then tactically in terms oh, of what yeah. he says about playing one nils <laughs> and that kind of stuff? We, uh, we played Bromley at home uh Close a couple of weeks ago, and they went one nil up. And seriously, they just they might as well just all camped out in the eighteen yard box. It was it was horrendous. We ended up losing the game two uh, one, I think it is, or two nil. No, sorry, two nil. But they just set up shop. But we've just found it now. Um, even the top teams are doing it. You know, they get one nil up, and that's it. Bang, come and break us down. There's no fancy to urge anyone on. Um, I also one thing I've noticed as well you find that players can influence a referee even more now we tend to find that now um, players are crowding around the referees again uh, because they don't have the fans shouting at the referee or linesman uh, lines person uh, whoever makes that deci- that bad decision um, so now players are now starting to influence officials' decisions now. We've had some criminal decisions against us over the last month or so. And um, it's cost us games, cost us points, to be honest. But um, it'd be interesting to ask you guys if that's been similar. Have the officials been a bit off it as well throughout the season in the Championship? Um, I've seen one or two decisions uh, in in a couple of Wickham Wickham games that I've watched. Um, But uh, other than that, I've not really had to See, see, get a chance to see any more after that. I yeah. think, I think, um, I need to choose my words carefully here, but I think <laughs> we've seen a few referees this season who've yeah. refereed in an entirely different way because the stadiums are empty. Yeah, uh, who uh, might like the um, might like the attention of thirty thousand people on them, and when they're not there they are far quieter in terms of the way they've refereed the game. Uh, I wouldn't mention any names, but regular listeners might know who I'm particularly thinking about. <laughs> uh, there, are, there are one or two that, uh, that over the years have, have, um, have not impressed. I'm not sure they've got quite as many. Uh, I, I would probably think mistakes-wise, it's, it's probably about the same from what I've seen okay. in terms of you know howling errors from the referee. How's he not given that? Um, but I think maybe they're less highlighted because you haven't got 30,000 people screaming at that ref for getting that, you know, for making that mistake, for getting that decision wrong. Um, The other thing I've noticed, and and Nathan, you know, this is a great one to to talk to you about, is they seem to be letting a bit more go than they might normally. They seem to be far less, this might just be Forrest, I don't know, but there seem to be far (laughs) less cards in the game, far less bookings, yellow cards. Uh, this year, maybe that's just Forest because I don't know, just circumstance or whatever. But 
there's, there's you know you see a few decisions that you think again if you had thirty thousand screaming at them you know for for how bad that foul was the referee would just get his get his cards out straight away but but this year because there isn't that they seem to have let a few things go a little bit more and and certainly on second yellow cards I would say yeah I think uh, yeah I think I agree with you it's, um, I mean to be fair we've had quite a few this season but. Uh, in general, over the course of everyone in the league and the games, um, yeah, I think there's been a lot less. You know, comes to think it, it's a great, it's a good shout that is because, like I said to you, when you got when you got that noise of the fans screaming, and then you have got a player trying to talk to the referee, the referee can't really hear that player. He just he's very, you can ignore that player very easy. But now, you. Um, the referee hears everything that's been said and stuff. I, I think they are reluctant to let thing, more things go, but um, they do give, seem to give up more fouls, but obviously less cards. So maybe that's something they they spoke about in their in their classrooms or whatever. Um, but <laughs> I mean, the levels between where I'm at at the moment, where Forest is at the moment, the levels between the officials is it, it's it's there's a big gulf between the two. So. Did you see um, the one with Peterborough and Lincoln at the weekend, the penalty, in the 95th uh, minute? With, uh, oh, with, uh, yes, I did. Yes, I did, yeah. Did it? Yeah. I was trying to work out what, what. <laughs> I couldn't work him? out what happened. I, don't I know couldn't work out because, did he sweep his legs? Did he pull him on the arm? I, I couldn't. He just out. kind of ran into him, but it was the attacking player ran into the defender and the ref gave a penalty. It struck me as the worst penalty I've seen for a long time, but that's saying something, yeah. Um, I'm going to change the tack before we start running no out worries. of time for two more topics I wanted to cover quickly. Uh, no this is not fair on you, Nathan, as a former Derby player, but I'll ask Colin first. Who's going down at the weekend, Colin? Do you think? <laughs> I, I, I've got to be honest, I didn't see enough from Sheffield Wednesday last week to think that they can go to Derby. And, and I know Derby are in shocking form as well. Is it six defeats in a row now from Derby? Yeah. Um, and, and a point in any of them would have got them safe. Um, and they keep going 1-0 up, don't they? And then losing the game as well. So I, I know there's all sorts of issues uh, there for them and, and, and they're a side who are struggling as well. But did I see enough from Sheffield Wednesday to think they can go there, get themselves in front and then hold on to that lead? And I'm not sure I did, if I'm honest. Um, I know Forest fans would like me to say that, yes, I can I can really see uh, Sheffield Wednesday going there and, and, uh, and putting Derby to the sword, but really not sure about it. I, I think Derby will, will have enough um, to, to see off the threat of Sheffield Wednesday, which will keep Derby safe, uh, which, which would relegate Sheffield Wednesday. Um, and as we speak, of course, Rotherham have got their game in hand tonight, which is going to make a, a big difference if they can win against Luton tonight. And that would really put more pressure on Derby on the final day as well. So um, I think if I'm honest and you put me on the spot, I would probably say the three that are in the bottom now will be the three that get relegated and Derby will be all right on the final day. Yeah, I, I think so as well. Sheffield Wednesday, don't know they can win a game to me. I suppose Rodham with the X factor. Go on, I'll ask you, Nathan, who do you think is going down, even though I'm unfairly putting you on the spot? Wickham will stay up. They'll score, they'll score 13 goals. <laughs> you that, haven't you? Yeah. <laughs> I forgot about that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, I, know, I think I agree with, with Colin. But, you know, I think it'd be a question to ask the Forest fans. You know, also, yeah, they would love to see Derby go down and all that stuff. But then you miss that fixture... You know, there's two fixtures next year, and especially with fans 
supposedly starting to come back. Hopefully, hopefully they do. It'd be a massive, you know, it'd be a massive, uh, massive game if they were to stay up. Uh, but I, I agree with Colin. I think the bottom three that are there now uh, are going to go are going to go down. Unfortunately, for for Wickham. Yeah, those, those Forest Derby fixtures can get a bit lively. To be fair, on occasion. Yeah, it's, it, it, like I said, I think I think the Forest fans generally, if hand on heart, I think they would miss having Derby, not not having those games. I mean, what you can play them in pre-season, done that before, and it's not it doesn't mean anything um, as much, should I say? Um, but it's just a case of I I think I'd rather have them in the league. And just have those two games because those two games, you know, I really enjoyed them on both sides. Um, maybe one more than the other, but <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I enjoyed them. And then uh, I think it'll be, I think for us to be a bit, you know, a bit disappointed really that they don't have that rivalry. Uh, just finish by talking about social. <laughs> true, true. Uh, we'll just finish by talking about the social media boycott then, which um, yeah. we took part in at the, the Post Star Company. I know the BBC didn't because of the Royal Charter, Colin. I don't yeah. think they were able to. Um, Nathan, you've been on here before talking about your experiences of racism, which is yeah. one factor of online abuse. I mean, where do you stand on the the boycott then, and what needs to happen in terms of eradicating all these problems from not just social media but but societally as well? A big question. Sorry. Well, we all know what needs to be done. The social media companies, uh, they need to have some, there has to be some sort of ID and we all know what that needs to be done. Um, Obviously, education comes into play as well. That's down to the schooling and, you know, getting as many people into the schools to talk about experiences and how to be kind and stuff. Um, But ultimately, it falls down onto the social media companies. You can't just abuse someone get up in the morning and abuse someone and then that account gets closed down and then you can freely open another account from the same device whatever um it's that, that's the problem there to be honest so the social media companies they, they're not going to do much about it because it costs them money when it comes down to money that money makes the world go round at the end of the day they're not bothered about people's feelings and if they were then they would have done something about it in the first place but I, I I don't want to be too negative about it, but it's what it says on the on the can is that's what it is. It's just the way the world is. Um, like I said, if their pockets are going to get lighter by not having that many people and other people um, making up all these other accounts, um, it, you know, if they're going to lose all that, then they're going to lose money. So that's what it comes down to. What impact you spoke about being racism, and you've been, you know, the messages that you receive when you're at Forest after the Yeovil game, and just in general life. I mean, can you speak to people about what impact that has on you? Because uh, you know, I, it's not happened to me, so it, I, you it can't go unchecked, and noticed, can it? It must, it must have an effect on you, even if you know you, yeah. you try to shut it out. With people giving you abuse, you, you can't ignore it all the time, can you? You can't. You can't. There's, um, like I said to you, it's down to them to. You know, I don't. I just don't know. You know, I, I think I've just got to the point personally. Got to the point of it's happening every day. It's and unfortunately, that's a bad thing to to think about it because now that's is that just the new norm now? Like we've all got used to lockdown now and coronavirus. We've all got used to it now. We know what it is. We know what X, Y, and Z. Um, but 
you know, to to accept abuse. I'm not saying I'm accepting it if it ever happens and stuff, and accepting the past. I've just kind of got on with it in my life. Um, but there's a lot more that needs to be done. Like I said, education is the key to it, and um, you know, the, the generations that are coming up. Um, you know, you start to see. It's just it just comes down to the parents teaching your kids what's right and wrong. What um, you just can't go up and go and abuse people. I, just, I I don't know how you can do it. It's like it's like I just don't get how you can get up in the morning and just go and abuse someone just because they had a bad bad game. That's you know if if my post if my postie goes and drops my letter off down at number ninety nine and I you know I live at number two. I'm not going to go around and go and charge at him and think, well, I'm going to go on Twitter, I'm going to go and abuse him for dropping the wrong letter down. Just grow up. You know, that's that's my that's my view on it, really. But like I said, there's there's so much stuff that needs to be done and changed in terms of social media. Until that happens, until they take responsibility, uh, then you start to see change. But look, change is, change is slow in my eyes. And, um, you know, we just got to keep pushing keep pushing and pushing until we get what we want last one on this then to you nathan do you see a different world developing for you you've got kids who are are they like late teenagers or something is it is yeah it but, different uh, for them? well i've got twin daughters who are 18 son uh, eldest boy who's 11 and uh, my youngest just turned two yesterday so yeah <laughs> got, got a good range um in terms of my seeing it from my daughters like as you just see the world is changing and it is it's good to see but there's still I'd like to think by the time my eldest boy is like 18 going on to 20 etc I like to think that the world is is changed for him uh, for him and by the time my youngest gets up to that age I'd like to think that the world has changed considerably um, but like I said it takes time it's it's slow. It's a slow process. True, true. Uh, Colin, it's a different. It's not uh, apples and oranges, obviously. But you're not on social media, and I suppose it's one of the reasons that that you would you just don't don't need the abuse. I guess is that one of the yeah. things that puts you off. Yeah, never been on social media on a personal level. Have to use it for work, but never never on a personal level have I had a social media account. And there is, you know, there are very good reasons for that. And I know that sometimes social media can do good, um, but I. Uh, you know, I, I've always taken the the, the the side that why why would I put myself there? What you know, why would I have a social media account so that people could be abusive to me? Um, now, that's me looking at it from the wrong angle because people shouldn't be on there and be allowed to be abusive to me. That's exactly what what Nathan's just been saying. And why why shouldn't you know? It so happens to me that I'm not bothered about not having a social media account. But if you want one. Why should you have to feel, well, I might not get one because I'm, I, I fear the abuse I'm going to get? Um, you know, I, I, it's, I mean, you're right. The BBC was, was unable to, uh, to, to get behind the campaign because of its, uh, its royal charter and its editorial guidelines. Um, but, you know, I, I'll, I'll just say what, what I said earlier in the season or in previous seasons, whenever something has been made public, you know, an incident has, has been made public. I just, I, I'm, I'm amazed that you in this day and age people cannot be made more accountable for their actions on social media and that it is so easy to make accounts that are anonymous i, I find that extraordinary that that, that can still happen mm, true true yeah 
Right. Um, I think we'll leave it there for this week then. Uh, one more game to go and we'll be back this time next week to talk about Forest v Preston and then we'll look ahead to the summer and do some uh, former player interviews. We've got some interesting ones lined up. So thanks to everyone who watched along and uh, put comments in the comments section and listens on iTunes and YouTube. Do subscribe and give us a good rating because it really helps and I like reading nice comments. Not negative comments as we've just been talking about on social media. Right. Uh, Colin... Thank you very much. And Nathan, happy birthday again. And thank, thank you. you very much, gentlemen. Great to have you with us. And we shall see everyone soon. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to Garibaldi Red, a Nottingham Forest podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, then please let us know. We love hearing your feedback. We'll be back soon with another episode. Thanks for listening. Thank you.